<laughs> so if you don't know, Michael Noir, the treasurer of the church, works for Coca-Cola, but he, he didn't endorse this at all. He didn't endorse this at all. <laughs> I love that commercial. And actually, one of my things I'm so fascinated about is marketing. Like how marketing teams spend billions of dollars and how to capture our attention within three seconds, within a scroll on social media. How, what can they do to make us pause and click? How can they make us be attentive and not get up to go to the bathroom on commercial break and for us to be attentive? Like the amount of money that they put into marketing is so fascinating. And now this entire ideology that we've been talking about of I'm doing me, I'm gonna do what's best for me, I need to know my truth, I need to do what's best for me, that this this ideology that maybe we're not fully aware of in our culture, now Coca-Cola is, is going to town with this. And I was talking to Michael about this quite a long time ago, and it's super fascinating. When I, think of Coca, when I think of Diet Coke, I think of my uncle, I think of old people that are just thinking the healthy thing to do is just, if I, you know, I can go to town with eating barbecue, but if I have Diet Coke, I'm healthy. And then they realized, they realized that group is kind of fading out. And now they needed to rebrand Diet Coke in order to attract a different demographic, a younger demographic. So Coca-Cola has spent billions of dollars of how can they rebrand Diet Coke to attract a new generation of people that want Diet Coke. So they're using this ideology, and it is so fascinating. Of, of saying, you, you do what's true to you, you do what you can, because I can. Like, I want to do what's best for me. And, and, and it sounds so attractive. It is so attractive. Why? Why does that resonate with us so much? Why is it like, yeah, I should, I should do what's best for me. Why is that so appealing? I, everyone wants to do what the, what's best for them. Everyone wants to do what's true to them. Like, it's so appealing. It, it's so attractive to just do, do you. You do you. But the reality is, that's my nature is wanting to do what's best for me. But my supernatural desire is for something so much more. That for me to live to the fullest intent of how I'm designed to be is actually when I push myself to live beyond just thinking of me. The second, the more I start thinking beyond myself, the more I'm able to find my fullest identity. There was someone that lived 2,000 years ago that made it super clear to us of how to, 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 to find our fullest identity is not thinking of ourselves, is when we start thinking of others. Over the past several weeks, we've been talking about the difference between giving and living a generous life. All of us wants to do what's best for us, but every now and then some of us feel guilty, like, yeah, you know what, I feel like I should give to this, this GoFundMe. I feel like I should give to this cause. I feel like I should. There's something inside of us that makes us feel guilty. We're either inspired or we feel guilty, and that kind of pushes us to say, you know what, like, I feel like I should give something, so that way I can, I can say I'm a good person. And all of us kind of have that itch inside of us saying, I feel like I should do something more. Why? That little itch inside of us is something inside of us telling us that we're called to live for something so much bigger than ourselves. Giving is the spontaneous act that I do. Random acts of giving, as the saying is, is me just giving something in order to make me feel good or just so I can like, feel like I'm doing something good. But in reality, we're called to live a generous life. Generous life, we, like we talked about last week. Generous people think like managers, not owners or consumers. Generous people think like managers, not like owners or consumers. Generous people understand what I've been given. Like I, 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 didn't, like I, I did my part, but there was someone above me 
that worked with me that, for me to get what I got. There's someone above me that was able for all these things to line up. It's not completely on me. Like, I don't own it. Like, I manage it. Like, whatever gift or whatever financial reward that I have, I manage it. And I, had to, I have to manage it as, as a good steward, as a good manager, and know how to delegate and how to manage it in a proper way instead of me acting as if I'm an owner or a consumer. And we talked about how ownership, the entire philosophy of ownership is really a myth when you start thinking about it. Ownership is a myth. I'll give you a perfect example that just happened to me a month ago. We go close on a house, and they say, congratulations, you're a homeowner. You will officially own the house in November 2048. That's when I will officially own the house. So own ownership is a complete myth, because whatever is coming my way, is, I, I, it's not me to own. If something is, has easily come my way and can be easily taken back, I don't own it. If something has easily come my way and can be easily taken away, I really don't own it. But I'm called to manage it and not act as if I'm a consumer. We talked about last week that the number one word that is related to our finances is the word worry. That it triggers so much stress, especially this time of year when we start thinking of finances. And in our American culture, we get in this cycle that many of us are not fully aware of that we get into just because this is how our culture runs. We start worrying about our finances. Oh, will I have enough to be able to pay off the credit card? Will I have enough to do this? Will I have enough to save for my kids, for them to do soccer, whatever? And we start worrying about consuming more. And then what do we do once we start worrying? Well, you know what? If, if I just spend more, I'm sure that will help kind of alleviate some of it. So a lot of us, are, once we have worry, then that triggers us then to either spend more and spend the same as much as we make, or for some of us, spend more than what we make. And then once we try to do that to kind of alleviate some of the worry, then we end up being in some debt. And then once we have some debt, then we realize we have no margin. We have no boundaries. We have no cushion for our, our, our finances. And then once we realize we have no margin, then that makes us worry even more. And we get stuck in the cycle over and over and over again. Why do we get stuck in this cycle? Because our mentality is, I'm going to do me. I'm going to do what's best for me. And we, since that consumer mentality is, is, is the central component of this cycle, this is what gets us into trouble. And we keep on going on and on. Many of us would say, yeah, this is a bad cycle. Like, I, 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 am I in this cycle? How do I know if I'm in this cycle? The best way to get out of this cycle is when I reorient my mentality and my view of generosity. And I reorient my view of money. And I reorient my view of finances. If I start shifting my mentality away from consumption and I start moving in the direction of living a generous life, this is what will help me get out of the cycle. The off-ramp of this cycle is to live a generous life and not thinking, I'm just going to do me. But when I push myself out of this cycle, for, for me to push out of myself, to get out of this cycle, I need to live a generous life. All right, Father Nathaniel, yeah, yeah, we all need to live a generous life. You know, that's nice. So, you know, that, that we should all do that. Okay, but what's our plan? What's our plan in order for me to live a generous life? There has to be a plan. Like, you don't do anything without a plan. Like, you didn't get up this morning and just say, uh, you just randomly came across Double Tree Hotel and you come to church. You had a plan. 
You have a plan for everything that you're doing. So in order for you to live a generous life, in order for you to find the fullness of life, in order for you to get out of the cycle, you have to have a plan. You plan toward what's good. You plan toward what you want. If you don't have a plan, you're just naturally drifting and you're very passive about where you go. But if you want, if you, if you want to live a generous life, you have to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, this is your view of finances. I'm going to consume as much as I want. I'm going to consume as much as I want. I'm going to give out of guilt, so I feel like I'm doing something good. And then I can save something at the end. If I have anything left over, you know, I'll try to save just in case, whatever. You know, I'll save if I can. That's if you don't have a plan. This is your cycle. In order for me to have a plan, the people that do, let me put it this way, the people that do live a generous life, the people that do live a generous life, the way that they push themselves to live a generous life, they go by a percentage on their finances. If I say this, if I say, if I have $100 and somebody, and I need to give $10, it's, I can say, yeah, $10 is nothing. That's fine. It's a couple of drinks at Starbucks. I, it's easy for me to, to give away $10. But then if I start saying I have $1,000, and the idea of giving 100 bucks, then it starts, I can start to feel a little bit more. But if I'm wanting to get outside of this ramp, and I'm wanting to find the fullness of life, and if I'm wanting to central my view of finances around generosity, my view of giving has to be based on a percentage and not just random. If you're wanting a plan, if you don't want a plan, I totally get it. Enjoy your coffee. I'm going to be wasting your time for the next 15 minutes. I get it. You don't want a plan, that's fine. Like, I'm not here to put anything down anyone's throat, believe me. We're so happy, so happy that you're here. But if you're wanting to live a generous life, because even Jesus, 2,000 years ago, said, the ones that live a generous life, those are the ones that will find the truest sense of happiness. And when we say, he says, blessed are those who give, he's like, you're happy. In order to be happy, I have to center my life around generosity. Jesus also said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you're investing finance, financially, this is where your heart is. Like, he, Jesus taps into something that's true for every single human being. Wherever your money is going, there your, your focus, your attention, your, your heart is there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you're sending your money, this is where your heart is. If you're wanting to take a hard shift and you're wanting to realign your finances and realign your view of giving, realign your view of finances, realign in order to live a generous life, there has to be an assessment of where are your finances going. Shift your money in that direction. Shift your money in the direction that you want to go. It's as simple as that. Where do I know to where to donate? If I'm wanting to live a generous life, I'm going off an assumption. If you're, wanting to live, if you're not wanting to live a generous life, I totally get it. But if you're wanting to live a generous life, not, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about with your time. I'm talking about with your gifts. I'm talking about with, with, with who you are. But specifically when I'm talking about finances, if I'm wanting to live a generous life, okay, where, like, where do I designate my money to go? Ask yourself these two questions. What are you grateful for and what are you broken over? What are you grateful for and what are you broken over? What are the things are you beyond grateful for? Something that your kids have, 
something that you're, you're grateful that your kids are connected to this, or you're, you're, you're very passionate about this nonprofit organization or this cause, if there's something you're grateful for, this is the direction maybe for you to be pushed toward living a generous life in that direction. What breaks your heart? Every time you see this, you're like, ah. And there's something inside of you that just aches, something that you, you feel like you want to do something about. Answering these two questions will help you move in the direction of living a generous life and will help you knowing where to designate your finances. The greatest missionary on planet Earth. The greatest missionary on planet Earth. This guy was a hardcore Jew, hardcore terrorist Jew. But he had a hard shift once he found out who Jesus is. And he, and he wanted to have an intentional, intimate relationship with Jesus. And once he did that, he started writing several letters to different cities all around the Mediterranean Sea, all around to, to various cities. He was writing different letters in order for them to live a godly life. He was writing to all these different cities in order for them to find the fullness of life and to show them how they're intended to live. So St. Paul writes one letter to the city of Corinth, and he begins with this first letter that he writes to the city of Corinth. Now, concerning the collection for the saints... So now he's, he's, let me give you context of what he's saying. The historical context of the first century is that the epicenter of Christianity was in Jerusalem. The central of Christianity was in Jerusalem. And this is where the main church was. Their view of church, which is our view 2,000 later, is the church is a hospital. It's for us to come and for us to lean on each other, we're all coming with our brokenness, and us to unite with God in this hospital. So St. Paul is now writing a letter to so many different cities around the Mediterranean rim of them wanting, for them to understand something about living a generous life. Now he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, the saints are the ones, are the people living a godly life, wanting to pursue Jesus, living in Jerusalem. Just as you and I are called saints, as we say in the liturgy. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Like, now what is St. Paul saying? He's like, okay, I'm, what I'm telling you right now, I, I, told, I told that next, the city I just came from, I told the people of Galatia the same thing. I'm not telling you anything different. So here's what I'm about to tell you. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. St. Paul says, every Sunday, I, I, I want you to get together as a family, and I want you to look at your finances, and I want you to lay something aside. Like, back, you know, there's no bank or anything like that. So they're just, like, putting, you know, their money bags under their furniture, under their rug or whatever in their house. So I want you to take one bag, and I want you to lay it aside as, as finances for it to be set aside. Storing up as he may prosper. What is St. Paul telling this, the people of Corinth? I want you to reorient your finances on every Sunday to lay aside a, 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 some money. For, to be given back to the hospital, to the spiritual hospital, to the church, for those in need. Storing up as he may prosper. You know what that really means? Giving according to your percentage of your finances. That as you continue to prosper financially, that your percentage goes along with it. That I want you to, to always reorient your life around generosity and let it be according to a percentage that as you continue to grow and you get this promotion, you get this, let it be according to a percentage. That as you continue to grow financially, that you continue to push yourself to live a generous life in order for you to find the fullness of life. And then he says, that there be no collections when I come. 
What is St. Paul saying? First day of the week, every Sunday, I want you to set aside a percentage. Do this so when I come and visit you again in Corinth, I don't have to sit there and play like, you know, a big video, you know, uh, uh, presentation to make you feel guilty. I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't want there being no collection when I come. I don't want to do any of that. I want you to continue. I want you from now, from this letter that you're reading, to live a generous life. I don't want you to just do you. I want you to live for others. I want you to think of others. I want you to pursue a life to live for others. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to come and, and, and inspire you, make you feel guilty, or pass a bucket down the rows. I don't want to do any of that. Like, I want you to live a life of generosity now, not for me to make you feel guilty. I don't want that for you. This is what St. Paul wrote in the first century of Christianity. And from that time, broken people, just like you and me, wanting to live for someone bigger than ourselves, were always pushing themselves to live for something more than themselves and always living a life of generosity, always pushing their finances, putting their mindset toward others and not, I'm going to do me. Just to give you one example of an ancient prayer. We pray something in our services in the ancient faith. There is one prayer called the litany of the oblations. Litany is just a fancy word meaning uh, prayer. So uh, we're praying a prayer for those who offer things to God. This is what we say every single service on the weekend. Lord, give them, the ones that live a generous life, give them the incorruptible instead of the corruptible. Lord, those who live a generous life, give them the heavenly instead of the earthly. Lord, those who center their life around generosity, give them the eternal instead of the temporal. Their houses and their stores fill them with every good thing. Think of the historical context of these ancient prayers that we're still saying 2,000 years later. They're saying their, their houses and their stores fill them with every good thing. The ones that live a life of generosity fill their houses and their stores with every good thing. Okay, back then, like, everyone had a store. Like, everyone was a small business owner or a farmer. So this is the historical context of our prayer. But what does that mean to us? May your houses, may your families, may your career, maybe your pursuit of your career, may your houses and your stores, fill, Lord, fill them with every good thing. The ones that live a generous life, surround them, O Lord, by the power of your holy angels and archangels. As they remembered your holy name on earth, as those who live a generous life, as they remembered your holy name on earth, remember them also, O Lord, in your kingdom. Like, I love how the church, like, we centralize, this is a big deal for the church. In order for me to find the fullness of life, that if I, li if I focus my life around living a life of generosity, this is how I can find my fullness. This is how I can get out of that cycle that just leads me into consuming more and puts me more into debt. Some people ask me, like during this series, like, okay, you said a lot of you know, good things about, like, w instead of us doing me, I need to live for others. But what's my action item? Like, what do I walk out of here doing? Make it super, super simple. I want you to give, I want you to save, and I want you to live. I want you to give, I want you to save, and I want you to live. If you, I promise you, if you reorient these, these strings in this order, this is how you will find how you were designed to be. If you reorient your view of finances, to, to give first, then to save second, and to live, I promise you, this is how you will find peace. This is counterintuitive. This is counterculture. This is, it's hard for us to grasp. But I promise you, just give it a shot. Give it a shot. Just imagine, what would life look like? What would it look if you gave 
in your time first, in your family, to your friends, in your finances. And then you saved next. And then you lived with whatever is left over. If you did that as your focus, I promise you, just give it a shot. As Jesus said, happy is the person whose life is ordered around giving rather than receiving. Happy is the person whose life is ordered around giving rather than receiving. This is our last eight of the year. This is our last eight of the year. And people ask me, like, what, why is it called the eight? Like, why is it called the eight? Like, it's kind of a weir weird name. The eight is a symbol of a brand new start. There's seven days in a week. Eighth day is a brand new start. And our tagline here for the eight is a place to renew and reset life. The eight is a place to renew and reset life. This is our second service here on Sundays. But it's a place for us to renew and reset life. I want to renew, renew and reset life. I want you to renew and reset life. And I'm asking you. I'm inviting you to join me and for us to find the fullness of life. And for us to, to reorient our view of giving. Reorient our view of my money. Reorient my view of just me being an owner. But maybe I need to look at it through the lens of just, I, need, I just need to manage this. Like it's been given to me, and I need to be a good manager and not just a consumer. As you renew and reset life and think about where things are going in 2019, like let this be our focus. You know what? Let me just give this. I don't understand what Father Nathaniel is saying. This seems counterintuitive. This seems like, you know, this is for other people, not for me. You know, I need to say it because they don't know. Like, I, I need to, like, there's always going to be a voice inside of you saying, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? I need to save more. I need to do this. There's always going to be that voice in you, but I promise you. You just say, you know what? Let me put that voice for a second. Let me just center my life around giving first, then saving, and then living with her. I promise you, you just give that a shot. In 2019, I promise you, you'll see a huge difference in order for you to find the fullness of life in order for you to renew and reset life. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, every single one of us want to do what's best for us, and we should do what's best for us. Lord, we all, most of us, think of just ourselves, but Lord, we're called and designed for something so much more. But Lord, you came in a tangible, realistic way, and in an applicable way, and lived a life of you giving, living a life of generosity, of putting others before yourself. You have made that path clear for us in order for us to find what does that look like for us? Lord, we're sucked in, in, in from, from commercials, from marketing, from, from everything around us, saying for us to consume whatever comes our way and for us to just be an owner of whatever comes our way and us doing what's best for us, that I'm going to do what's best for me and I'm going to do me. We're completely surrounded by that. But help us to just pause, especially as we come at the end of the year here, for us to pause and see, Lord, how have I been called to live? What was your divine design of my view of finances? What's your divine design of how I should live? Lord, help us to build that muscle and for us to, to think of giving first and saving and then living. Through the prayers of all your saints, here it says we all pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.
in Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.